How are we doing? Doing good? I want to say welcome to you online again. Just want to say thanks so much for joining. Uh, glad to be able to be here. Um, as they said, my name is Mario. It's a pleasure to be able to be with you guys this morning. Good to be able to be with you in, in your homes or wherever you might find yourself this morning. And as we step into this morning, I just want to um, ask you guys a question. You can go ahead and uh, just chat, chat the answer to this. For those of you, I'll ask you to raise your hand in a moment. So I'm kind of prepping you now. Um, in, in relationships, um, as you're with your spouse, as you're with your friends, whoever it might be, um, would you say that you find yourself being the, the talker of the relationship, or would you say you're more the listener of the relationship? Which, which one would you, I see laughter already starting to take place. Which one would you say that you are? You can type that in there. How many people would say that, that in relationships, I'm, I'm the talker? I'm usually described as the talker, yes, and, and then us listeners? Okay, so we got some listeners. Okay, so you might find yourself, yeah, I see back in the back there, yes. So we have many talkers, many listeners. I know that um, I, I would say that if you know Michelle and myself, um, I would say that um, I would find myself more in the listening category. I would call myself that in the relationship. Not that I would say that my wife is the talker. I'm just saying that, that um, I talk less. And I think that to say much more about that, I don't want to get in any trouble this morning. I'm just going to say, when it comes between the two of us, I talk less between us. But there are some times in which we may be talking, um, and we might be having what might be called brisk conversations um, about certain things in life. And in those brisk conversations, there might be something that um, might be, oh, we might say words are a little bit heated. And, and as those heated words are coming up, we might be going back and forth, and we just need to kind of call a, a break for each other. And we just kind of step into our corners, you know, get, get the water. The guy comes in, gets the water, kind of hoses us down, sponges us. We're ready for round two. Um, but before that happens, what ends up happening almost inevitably every single time is that my wife is always the first to come back. And she will say, hey, you know what? Um, I just want to let you know I'm sorry for the way that I said such and such. She's usually the first to do that. And can I tell you, I really appreciate it when she does that. I mean, it's, it's so kind. On the one hand, I appreciate it. And on the other hand, I absolutely hate it when she does that. Because here's the deal. I know what happens next. I know that I've got to deal with my own stuff. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know if you've been there before, but it's like, thank you, but now i got to deal with me. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, it's like, now the, the spotlight's on me, the logs in my eye, I've got to deal with that. I mean, dealing with our own stuff, owning our own stuff can be so difficult sometimes. I mean, think about it in relationships. Owning the fact that we can be harsh in our conversations can be so difficult. As employers, owning the way that we are sometimes, we, we kind of lord it over the people that we em employ, that can be hard to own. For some of us, we're in the places in which it's hard to own some of the stuff that we're watching when no one else is looking. For some of us, of us, it's hard to own the reality that, that in many ways there are areas of our lives that we, don't, we still don't even trust God. Have you thought about, like, why is it so hard to own stuff? I mean, it doesn't help, does it, that we live in this world that right now there's just so much going on, all this chaos, all this stuff that's just been boiling up. And as a result of it all happening, I mean, we find ourselves in a spot where some of the vices, some of the different uh, addictions, some of the different reactions and responses that we have, we thought we dealt with them. But the reality is all of this has started to bring some of those things back up again. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to kind of get beyond some of that? I think it would be. You see, the reason I bring all of this up is because we're in this series right here called Ezra, 
the road to restoration. We've been talking about this idea of restoring. And, and Ezra is a book that, that's really, it's in the Old Testament. It's a book that, that we often don't look at too often. We kind of glaze over that one um, when, we, when we're going throughout the scriptures because it just seems like, what is this book about? But we felt like it was important to unpack it because there is this narrative of restoration that takes place inside of Ezra that seems like it's really important for us to come to understand. Because as there's restoration taking place with Israel, I believe that there can be restoration in us. But you see, if we don't come to understand how important this is, there's some things that can happen. I don't know if you know this, but when we hold in the things that we need to own, when we keep secrets in our own lives, it's linked to things like hypertension, autoimmune diseases, and chronic depression. There's a link between those when we hold those things in. And as difficult as those things are, the reality is that the greatest destruction, it's not a physical destruction. The greatest destruction is a spiritual destruction. You see, this dynamic is something that we see playing out at the end of the book of Ezra. And for us to understand just what we're about to read, you can go ahead and open up or turn to your app to, to Ezra chapter 9. You can go ahead and start to find it there and just kind of bookmark it if you want to do that. You can grab your Bibles, whatever it might be. But as you get into chapter 9, I want you to understand why this moment is so important. You see, what's happening in the book of Ezra, what happened really throughout the people of, of God, there's this story between God and his people. God chose out of all the nations, he chose the people of Israel. And while they were in captivity, he brought them out of captivity. He said, I have a land that's prepared for you. And he takes them out of their slavery and places them into this promised land. And while he's there, he says, hey, look, we're here. And all you need to do while you're here is you just need to make sure that you worship me first. And I will take care of you from generation to generation to generation. But time passes, and, and as all good things, they start off that way. But as time passes, they find themselves in spots where they're not honoring God, where they're not worshiping him. And in fact, there's all these other gods from other nations that they start to worship. And they completely forget about God by the end. God continues to send people their way over and over again to say, hey, look, you need to come back to me, return to me, worship me. But the people didn't listen. And it got to a point where God just said, look, something needs to happen here. And in disciplining them, many of them were destroyed, but then many of them were brought from the Israel, a promised land. They were brought into captivity, to bondage, a place called Babylon. And they found themselves in this place. And as they eventually started to call out to God, God started to deliver them, to restore them back to their promised land in Israel. And it's within this context that we see one of the groups of people heading back. One of them is a man named Ezra who's leading the party back. Now, Ezra, Ezra was a priest. He was, he was commissioned when he went back from Babylon to go to this new place. He was commissioned to restore the people in their, their worshiping of God. His whole thing was to bring them back and to say, make sure you are worshiping God first. Well, Ezra arrives on the scene, and as he does, the man cannot even settle into his position very long until he comes across what these people come to say to him. And Ezra in chapter 9 writes down, this is what is taking place. This is what the people have to say. It says this, the Jewish leaders came and said to me, many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, the Hittites, 
Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. All kinds of ites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as their wives, as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. This is the message that comes to Ezra. He's coming to his, his office. He's getting settled. He's trying to settle the people. And this is the message that the leaders come to him and they say. There's all this stuff going on. In essence, what they're telling him is, look, Ezra, the very thing that got us kicked out of Israel to go into captivity, we just got back and we're, they're doing it again. I think if this was a, test, a text message between Ezra and these guys, I think this is what Ezra's response would look like to them. Come on, man. Like, we just did this. Are you kidding me? We're doing this again? You see, and I wrote this down because I wanted to be really clear about this. The main issue at hand, and there are many issues that take place in this short passage, but the main issue at hand, and this is true throughout the Bible, is that the problems that start to occur, they start to happen when a believer unites their body and soul with an unbeliever. The authors and God know that when this happens, it's a setup for believers to be enticed to worship false gods. It was a downfall for so many, including King Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon's race started so well. He loved God. He asked for wisdom, and wisdom was granted to him, and he started off so well. But it is a tragic ending. If you ever want to read 1 Kings chapter 11, there's a synopsis of the end of his life, and it is quite tragic. In essence, it says, Solomon started to marry foreign wives, and they led him to worship false gods. And what you start to see is a shift in the nation of Israel and an eventual downfall as a result of his decision to find himself connected in these detestable relationships. It had to be dealt with. It needed to be dealt with then, and Ezra had to deal with it in his day and age as it was starting to take place. So what does Ezra do? Ezra is the spiritual leader of these people. He's the one who has brought them together. And what does he do? And what I want to say to you is that before we unpack what exactly it is that he does, to understand if you're here and you're hearing, well, Ezra's a spiritual leader, so what he had to do, what does that really have to do with me? I'm not a spiritual leader. I want to challenge that this morning. Because I want to say this, that, that if you're a father in a home, you're a spiritual leader. If you're a mother, you're a spiritual leader. If you're a husband, you're a spiritual leader. I'll say this, that if you are a believer and you are walking further down the road than anybody else that you know, you're a spiritual leader. So Ezra's response to what takes place in this moment, if you are a believer, this applies to you. I mean, it's really not a question of if, if you're a spiritual leader, if you believe in God. The question is, what kind of spiritual leader are you? You see what we see Ezra doing when he gets this news after he gives the text back. What Ezra does is he prays and he allows himself to feel the impact of the situation at hand. We read this in Ezra chapter 9 verse 5. This is what it says. 
It says, at the time of the sacrifice, I, speaking of Ezra, stood up where I had sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees and I lifted my hands to the Lord my God. I prayed, oh my God, and listen to these words. I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you. And can you hear that even in the way that it's written? That there's something deep that Ezra feels in, in, in what, what just took place. And here's the deal. Ezra wasn't even the one that's done this. And yet he takes ownership of it on behalf of the people. He said, I can't even lift up my face. I'm utterly ashamed of what's going on. Now, I want to say this, particularly for the, the men in the room. I know when I say the word feel, I know it's like, ooh, who wants to talk about that? Like, we don't do feelings as guys quite often. And I want to say this. There are some times to kind of take our feelings and to put them on the sidelines. There's a need for that. If, if, if my house is on fire um, and a firefighter comes in and I'm in it, I don't really want the firefighter to come up to me and say, hey, well, hey let's just have a conversation about how you're feeling, about how your place is burning down right now. Can we do like, no, <laughs> get me out of the house and we can deal with my feelings later on. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are places in which we need to just put our feelings aside and deal with the situ situation right at hand. And the ability to do that is so necessary. So my hat's off to doctors. My hat's off to people in the military. My hat's off to people who have to step in and do that. It is amazing to be able to pull that off. But in many circumstances in life, there is a need to experience, to feel the weight of what has taken place. And you know, we had a beautiful moment in here in which we had a time of confession. If you were here for our prayer time, it was a wonderful time. And we had a time of confession, and that time of confession moved from a place of not just recognizing what had taken place sin-wise in our lives, but we moved to start to just recognize and call on God to recognize who he is. Dick had led us in a beautiful time in which we just focused on the Lord and how good he is and who we are in him. And can I say that those are wonderful moments to have. But we need to know that when we have disobeyed God's calling on our lives, that's not usually the starting place. You see, if there's an, indict an indictment that I often hear about Christians and about Christianity, is that we are so quick to speak about God's grace. We're so quick to move on beyond the issue that's at hand and quickly kind of just put everything in a nice little platitude and move on. And I get it, because we've come to this honestly in so many ways, haven't we? I mean, we've been known as a, as a people of gloom and doom and of hellfire and brimstone, so we want to get to the good stuff. But what happens is it leaves people in this place of going, is there any authenticity about you? Ezra was willing to feel the impact of what was going on. He was willing to step into it. And I want to say, if we're going to see change actually come, we have to let the sting of sin impact us. That's what Ezra was choosing and willing to do on behalf of his, of his people. And after he starts to feel the impact of what's going on, Ezra moves from that place of just feeling it to move into a spot in which he starts to agree with God about the situation at hand. In his prayer, he starts to agree. And that's really what confession is. Someone said it this way, that confession is to say the same thing about our situation that God says about it. That's really what confession is, is to agree with God. God, you say that what I am doing is not good. I confess. I agree. 
God, you say that I am your child, that I am loved by you, that I am known by you. I am your son, I am your daughter, and I'm loved. Well, our response, if we're confessing, is to say, I agree, God. I am your son. I am your daughter. I am loved by you. I agree. When we find ourselves in those spots and we come to prayer in that way, I don't know if you've ever just had moments in which you just are rawly confessing your, your sins, agreeing with God, but it's usually not the cleanest linear conversation. Have you ex- experienced that? It's just, you just start to pray. You just start to offer yourself to God. And that's what we see in Ezra's prayer. That there is this ebb and flow with Ezra as he starts to pray and starts to confess. He starts to agree. And what he starts to do is there's this, these moments in which he recognizes God and he praises God for who he is. But then he also starts to find himself in a spot of recognizing this is what we have done. And I just wanted to read to you what we see Ezra's prayer looking like. Maybe that we can take places for our own life. He starts off in verse 7 by talking about the things that they have done. Check this out. It says, from the days of our ancestors until now, listen to this, we have been steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of pagan gods, of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced just as we are today. And then he starts to switch to focus on God and what God has done says, but now we have been given a brief moment of grace. For the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some release from our slavery. For we were slaves. But in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us. So we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, he starts to switch over again to focus on Israel, the Israelites and their sins. In verse 10 it says, And now, O our God, what can we say after this? For once again, we have abandoned your commands. Your servants The prophets is the prophets that you sent to us, God. They warned us and they said the land that you are entering to possess is totally defiled with the testable practices of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruption. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. Don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. Don't ever promote the peace and prosperity of those nations. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong and you will enjoy the good things the land produces and you will leave the prosperity to your children forever. That's what you said, God. And now we are being punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt. And then Ezra, as he does, flips back to God's goodness. But we have actually been punished far less than we deserve. For you, our God, have allowed some of us to survive as a remnant. And then back to the Israelites. But even so, we are again breaking your commandments and intermarrying with people who do these detestable things. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? 
And then he ends his prayer with a confession, with an agreement. And the agreement is this, O Lord, God of Israel, I agree, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but an escaped remnant. Though in such a condition, none of us can stand in your presence. Amen. Amen. Do you hear the humility of his confession? His willingness to be raw and open with what's going on. He has nothing to hide. You see, confession frees us from hiding in the dark. And it frees us to move, start to move on this path of being healed. I love the words of, of an author. His name is Aaron Stearns. He writes these words about confession. He says, you know what? We may think that we are keeping a secret, but the truth is that the secret is actually keeping us. Any of us ever found that to be true? Whew. A little too true for life. But you see, we're called to be free as a people. We're called to live freely. And that was Ezra's heartbeat for the people, to be a people who live freely. And so as he's praying with this burlap on, with this, this sense of grief of what's taking place, people start to hear his prayer. They hear what's going on. And as they hear him calling out to God, people start to gather. And as they gather around, we see them being moved inside of their hearts in, in such a way that they need to start to do something with this. They recognize the, the depth of their sin. And they recognize they couldn't continue to live on with what they were doing. And so they started living in light of the agreement that was being made. They heard what Ezra had to say. And if you, pull, if you look in chapter 10, if you ever take a moment just to read that or listen to it, what you'll find is that chapter 10 is all about the people's commitment to live into the commitment and live into the confession that they had just made. One of the guys came to Ezra and said, you know what, in light of what's going on, we need to go ahead and do something about this. They recognized that they would, they would be willing to send away the foreign wives and children in order to be right with God. And so I know that sounds harsh and crazy, but understand, there's a context for what they did. That said, it wouldn't have been enough for them to simply say, I'm sorry. It wouldn't have been enough for them to be in a spot to say, you know what, we recognize that we have sinned. We recognize, God, that we've done something wrong. They had to do something with what it is that they experienced. And so do we. I mean, you know, we can say we're sorry all day. We can say that we agree that we're loved by God. We can say that we agree with God that we have sinned. But at the end of the day, it's our actions that reveal just how impacted we are. We can talk and we can talk and we can talk and we can talk. But it's our actions that will reveal our hearts. Our actions reveal what's really going on with deep within us. You know, last week, Tom shared this story about the prodigal son. I appreciate him bringing that to the forefront because it's something that is so important as we talk about this idea of restoration, of a people being restored. And it's a story, if you've never read it, it's in Luke chapter 15. And it's a story about a son who ends up leaving the father and then coming to experience the grace of his father later on as he returns to him. But one of the key pieces in order for that son to experience the father's grace is this. While he was in the pigsty, 
There was a moment in which he had to actually get up from where he was in the pigsty. He had to turn from where he was, and he actually had to take steps back towards his father's home. His father's grace was always available to him, but he wouldn't be able to experience it until he chose to move. And the same thing is true for us. It was true for Ezra. It was true for those men. And it's true for us today. And I don't know what that action might mean, mean for you. Maybe for you it is that you need to go to someone and have the conversation that you need to have. Maybe you need to make the phone call with somebody. Maybe you need to get on to Facebook and get in a private message and say, you know what, the way that I said, the way that I did so-and-so. Maybe you need to schedule the appointment that you've been longing, that you've been putting off for so long. Maybe you need to find a healthier outlet for the things that you've been doing. I don't know what it is, but I ask the question, what do you need to do in order to live in light of the confession that God is speaking to you about? I don't know about you, but I'm finding myself in my journey as I continue to be with the Lord that the things that he continues to call me to are the areas of my life where I know that I should have said something, but I didn't. And those are moments in which I find I can go throughout my day and feel like, oh, all is okay. Things are going well for me. I don't think I've even sinned today. And then I find myself before the Lord offer myself and say, what about that conversation, Mario? What about that thing that you know you could have done, but you didn't? And it's in those moments I have the opportunity to choose. Will I do something? Even if that means going back to my wife and saying, yes. I, would, I did something too. Would you forgive me? What would it be like to experience the freedom that comes with not only agreeing with God, but walking in that freedom? We're going to come to a time of communion. But before we do, I really want us to be able to be in a spot in which we consider the sins of our own hearts and the sins of our own lives. And I would just wonder for you, um, when was the last time you found yourself in a spot in which you felt the weight of your sin? That maybe the sin that you've experienced so many times over and over and over again, it's just kind of been seared out of your heart and life. When was the last time you experienced the weight of it? Maybe in this moment, this is something that we need to be brought back to. I wonder for some of us in this place, uh, when was the last time you recognized there was something that you know that you needed to do, but you have not moved on it? You see, it's these moments like this when we come together that we get to come before a gracious God, a loving God who sees us, who knows us, and is willing to step back in and say, you know what, I see where you're at, and in my grace, I am here for you. If only you would confess, if only you would come to me. You know, I wonder for some of us, as we talk about this idea of agreement, for some of us, maybe your whole life is one in which you have actually never agreed with God. Your whole life has been a trajectory in which you have never agreed with God. And this morning, you're recognizing the grace of our Lord Jesus. And you're saying in your own heart, in your own life, I want to start a relationship with you. I want to agree with you. Your ways are right. What you have in store is so much better than what I have. I choose to give my life to you. If that's you, I want to pray with you in just a moment.
And I want to encourage us before we take time to receive the elements, the body broken and the, and the blood poured out, that we would take time to just allow the Lord to examine our hearts. Scripture speaks about that before we receive communion. And so wherever you're at, would you just take a moment and allow me to pray with you? Let's just do that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. It's your grace that allows us to be in a spot in which we can come to you, that we can say in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of, of our circumstances, we can come to our senses and say, but when I'm back home, my father would take me back in. God, as you examine our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit right here in this room and wherever we might find ourselves online, as you speak to us about the areas of our lives that are not agreeing with you, Lord, in our own hearts and our own ways, Lord, we confess that and we give it over to you right now. The areas of our lives that are not in agreement with you, we give them to you right here and right now. Take them, Lord Jesus. In our hearts and our lives, we want to say we agree with you. Lord, for some of us in this place and some of us watching this morning in our hearts, all of our very lives have been ones in which we have been in disagreement. Our lives have not aligned up with yours, but in this moment, we're coming. We're saying, God, forgive me because my life has not been in agreement with you. I confess here and now that I need you as my Lord and Savior. I need you to be my God. Come in and cleanse me from within. Restore the brokenness within my life and make me alive in this moment. I agree with you when you say that I get to be your son and, and your daughter. I agree with you when you say that I am loved by you. I agree with you when you say that I get to have eternal life with you when I say yes to you. I agree with you and I receive you in my heart and my life right now. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your Holy Spirit to live within me. I choose you. I choose life. I choose a step into what it is you have in store for me. In Jesus' name. with our hearts before the Lord, bared before him, in the same way that the disciples were, Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. With clean hearts, let's take the bread and eat it together. And our Lord, he was gathered around with his disciples and he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Let's drink. A new covenant, a new way of being, the forgiveness of sins. As we wash in fresh and anew the blood of Jesus, I invite us, those of us in this room, let's just stand and take an opportunity to worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And wherever you are, would you do the same? Let's do that together right now.